0: Welcome to Batty to Batty, a monthly podcast by For the Breast of Us, the first breast cancer community for all women of color, where we share real-life experiences, information, and education to help you live your best life after a breast cancer diagnosis.
1: Welcome to Batty to Batty. Welcome to Batty the Batty. Hey, baddies! I'm Deltra, Deltra. OG Batty Ambassador, Connecticut born and raised, divorced mama to five amazing girls. In summer of 2019, I was diagnosed with triple negative NBC, straight out the gate, but I hit the ground running. And I've survived and thrived with humor darkest coffee, always carrying a tune, and connecting with community through conversations like these. Let's get into it together. Hello everyone. My name is Deltra and I'm a breast cancer thriver living with NBC and I'm joined with daddy ambassador Daniela along with another thriver, and since it's Pride Month, for the rest of us, wanted to sit down with a few baddies in our community to identify within the LGBTQIA plus community. Since this is a intimate group, we're going to start off with quick introductions of everyone. So, I think I'll actually start with myself. And then you guys can follow up with just telling our audience our ethnic background, age of diagnosis, type of breast cancer, and how you identify in the LGBTQIA plus community. And I will repeat all that (laughs) when it's time for you guys to go. Um, So me personally, I identify as Black, Blackly Black. (laughs) <laughs> and I was 33 years old when I was diagnosed with uh, stage four triple negative breast cancer straight out the gate, and I identify as pansexual. Daniela, how about you, girl?
0: Hello, hello. How's it going? Nice to be with you, Deltra and Mariah. I... um. So I'm Chicana. I'm from New Mexico, tiny town up in northern New Mexico, and um, I was 37 when I was diagnosed with stage three, um, stage three breast cancer. And I identify as um, pansexual as well and gender fluid.
1: Awesome. And how about you, Mariah? Ethnic background, age, diagnosis, type of breast cancer, and
2: how you identify in the community? Hey, y'all. Um. So I identify as Black with a white mother. Um. That's important to a lot of things that I go through daily. I was diagnosed at the age of 26 with stage 2 breast cancer, and I um, I identify as queer to those who to make it easier for those who are not in the community, but it's demi pansexual. And yeah. Okay, awesome. thank you
1: guys for explaining that. I'm definitely going to want to come back so you could kind of explain the demi part before the (laughs) transsexual it's funny we're all over here a bunch of panties (laughs) but 100% (laughs) I'm going to want you to explain the Debbie part for us could you explain that elaborate on that Mariah
2: yeah, so demisexual for me would be I need to develop an emotional attachment to someone before I can engage in sex. Mm-hmm. Um, I, growing up, try to do the one night stand thing and see how that goes, but it's not for me. So, a lot of the times, the people that I would hook up with were friends okay. and I, or people that I've established long term relationships with or like knew mm-hmm. beforehand. Um, So that's the, and that's a very um, big part of me because I need that emotional uh, connection in order to be sexually active with someone. All right, thank you so
1: much for explaining that for our audience. I am demisexual as well, (laughs) but wanted to go ahead and let you explain that. So thank you because Mm -hmm. of course there are people on who um, have not heard that term. Daniella, can you explain what pansexuality is for our audience?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I usually just say queer to make it easier for people. But, <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, um, so I'm attracted to every gender, um, the full spectrum, from people who identify as cis male to people who identify as cis female and everywhere in between um, or neither or both or um, you know, trans of all types.
1: Yeah, would you add to that
2: description, Mariah? I was gonna agree that anybody that, ex- any type of gender identity or expression does. Yeah.
1: Yes, that's what pansexuality is. As much as people joke, it has nothing to do with pans that <laughs> 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 you cook with. But, um, yeah, the way that I, you know, I find it so interesting that you guys just use the word queer. I think that really um, is so great because it does, like, perfectly, like, encapsulate everything. It makes it easier for people outside the community because just saying that, you know, LGBTQIA plus is such a mouthful. (laughs) And I mean, it's a mouthful for anyone. But as far as, like understanding all of that, it, it's a lot, you know, You really people outside the community. Right. Um, so queer does, that is a great descriptor.
2: I also use it though, because I wanted to know that it's the umbrella term for anybody who doesn't fit the social constructs mm-hmm. and norms of who we're supposed to love and be yeah. attracted to. That makes a lot of sense.
1: That makes a lot of sense to me. And I think that's very, um, gosh, I want to use the word affirming or it's inclusive. It's helpful for anyone who's not sure how they want to identify or like they don't have a label or whatever. Like that makes a lot of sense to me. I actually have a teenager who identifies as, as queer, um, you know, and maybe later she'll change it. People, people change or they, you know, learn about something that they're like oh that's me that's how i felt when i read about pansexuality and i was like oh that's me and i kind of describe it as um falling in love with souls like i would say i'm attracted to like the souls of people it doesn't really matter what the what you know body they come in what gender or lack thereof mm-hmm. you know they express themselves as.
2: of that person
1: Yeah, so do your families know your identity or how you identify um, as a queer person? Do you discuss that with them?
0: Yeah, I can go first. Um, So this is Daniela and um, my partner knows, we've had at length discussions about it. He identifies as a cis male actually. And so that in itself, um of course like causes a lot of things that we have to navigate and also um and also it affords us a lot of privilege right
1: absolutely straight presenting couple right
0: exactly um my but i have a seven-year-old and a four-year-old and um we've definitely had these discussions and it's really amazing to watch my babies evolve and start to understand themselves and express themselves in these ways and to see what stays consistent and what changes and just giving them that freedom to um, to really enjoy all kinds of different things no matter what their body presents as, right? Everybody loves sparkles. Everybody loves, you know, bright.
1: Who decided to, like, withhold sparkles and colors and everything from certain people? Like, it's unfair. (laughs) I would be upset about that and rebel against that as well if I was not someone who was, like, you know, born in a female body and all of that and who was already, like, it was normal, you know, for me to want to wear pink or glitter or nail polish, you know? Yeah, like, oh, I wouldn't want to deprive any one of those things.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so my immediate family, my immediate family knows, um, and I've had discussions with like one of my theas and stuff, but I haven't been fully out to my whole family because it hasn't really been safe. Mm-hmm. Um, now that I've gone through. Everything with cancer treatment, I'm like, you know what? Fuck it, life is too short.
1: Yep, we'll do that, right?
2: Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> yep. For me, I am. Um, my family has known probably. I told all my friends when I was in middle school, and then I told my mom about a girlfriend I had when I was 17. After me and a boyfriend broke up. And that became a real big thing for a while. And I think what I did, looking back upon it, is I did some sort of defense mechanism. I was like, if I go ahead and tell everybody that I'm queer or that I like girls, too, Mm -hmm. then they can't use that against me later and try to out me. Yeah, I I took. Initiative myself and was like, hey, well, if everybody knows no one's ever going to be surprised if they see Mariah With so-and-so or so-and-so and And it's helped me the longest time and I was grateful for that I was able to do that but looking back on it It's sad that I even felt like I needed to out myself so that nobody else could Yeah, that makes a lot of sense
0: and really like It's such a gift that you're giving them by sharing that part of you with them
2: Yeah, you're right.
0: I mean, it's a gift you gave, whether or not they deserve it, but but that was a gift. For sure. How about you, Mm -hmm. Delta? How about your family?
1: So for me, yes. My family knows everybody and their mama know. (laughs) (laughs) Now, it was really like a, just kind of a big thing for me again, as you mentioned, cancer really makes you just cut to the chase with how do I want to live my life? Who am I? And for me, um, you know, after just months after my diagnosis, my um, I left my marriage of a decade um, because really that was just like another cancer that needed to be cut out of my life. Um, and I really just looked at and thought about like, who am I? And once i figured that out i just i honestly made a big like announcement on social media like hey this is who i am reintroducing myself I think about religion here's what i think about sexual (laughs) orientation and i mean um just put it out there so if you still want to be pretty cool if you don't that's also cool
0: That's actually what I did too. I totally did it on social media. And those families that are not on there, those are the only ones that don't know at this point. (laughs) That's so funny.
1: Yeah. So I I just put it out there. You know, once I knew, once I, you know, learned the term pansexual, and I was like, "Mm, this feels like the right fit for me. I just went ahead and just put it out there, you know, for other people to know. And Daniela, I love that you mentioned your children. I have five girls from seven to 16. And Mm -hmm. me. Yeah. And me kind of like living as my fullest self gives them permission to, you know, explore who they are. Like, it's just I want our house to be a safe space and I want everyone to just know like you don't have to have labels if you do wonderful share them with us and and we'll respect them and we'll want to learn more about this part of you and otherwise if you don't like it's just a cool space where you can be free to be exploring who you are um and so that's been really awesome we're very much like a love is love household and a let's all figure out who we are and and i love it for I them I'm in my 30s and I'm just getting to be on that journey, and they get to watch it, but they get to grow up with, you know, just all the freedom that I'm finally getting to have. And I'm just like kind of letting it trickle down to them. So that's, that's pretty
0: amazing, cool. Delta. That's so awesome. I want to be a kid in your house. <laughs> <laughs> that's so, what I was just saying. I thinking. get that a lot.
1: <laughs> I do get that a lot. <laughs> So Daniela, didn't you recently write a blog about living in your truth? I
0: did. I did. I wrote a blog for the four for the rest of us. And yeah. um, I would love for you all to check it out. I talk about um, my journey as a driver. Survivor. Um, I also I talk about um, growing up Catholic and, you know, all of, all of it that comes with that. And the, the feeling of really having let other people down just by getting cancer and, um, getting to a point in my life where I can not only release that, um, but release any, any judgment that they may have, um, with why I got it or any of those things. Um, and coming to a place of self-love and acceptance, you know, um, which, you know, gotta work on every day, but uh, I'm a lot than I used to be.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's what matters, right? Every day getting a little bit closer. That's so true. And I think it's just amazing how much religion, like how often I hear from people who are religious, how that plays into their diagnosis, Their people questioning the why of their diagnosis happening. And somehow that like translating, you know, and almost like a sense of shame, even though it's like, it's not something I can help. I didn't choose to get cancer. And in the same way, it's like, you know, people in the religious community are often questioning and pouring out shame upon people for their how they identify, you know, sexually or, you know, gender-wise. So I think that's interesting. I mean, for us, it becomes kind of a double whammy because I was a part of a, of a religious community that was like family to me and so a lot of that I lost um, you know, once I came out and I mean, like I said, when I came out, I really came out, I came, <laughs> out. <laughs> I came out as far as my, where I was, you know, my thoughts on religion at that point and with my diagnosis, it was all like big announcements and with my sexuality. So it was, it was a lot of people just kind of. You know making me feel so much shame for all of it and i was
2: like i don't have time for that, for that. right for, for me um i am not religious and but i do come from a religious household so it was interesting from both sides so when i told people, I won't say who. When I told people that I had a girlfriend, I was told that there was a demon living inside my body
1: wow. and
2: I should pray about it. Then when I got breast cancer later on, they tell you to do the same thing, mm-hmm. pray about it. Yeah. So, it's like it's frustrating because I'm more of an action type person in general and it's like, you want me to pray the gay away, but you also want me to pray the cancer away. And it's like, it's frustrating because that's not what I, that's not how I process things.
0: Right, right. Uh-huh. I'm with you. Um, growing up, growing up in a little tiny town. So that that was very Catholic and very Chicano. Um, my, so my mom actually, Um, got breast cancer when I was really young, and she died of metastatic breast cancer when I was almost nine. And um, there was, you know, as you can imagine in a small town, there there wasn't anybody else who was going through something like that, right? Mm -hmm. And it was back in the really early 90s, late 80s, early 90s. Mm -hmm. and so there was no social media like there was nobody to to look at how to do this or navigate it and um you know our at the time being being catholic like the church was like the community and the community and i mean there's churches everywhere over there right Mm -hmm. (laughs) and um the community really they just knew everything about about us and i always felt really pitied and like you know, all of this praying for us and then like all of this talk of like how she withered away and it's like no 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 no, no. Oh. going there. I don't I don't need any of your prayers like that, you know? I'm you know, don't give me pity. Give me give me hope. Give strength. me strength. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So, so for the rest of us and you know, all of the people out there that are, that are putting themselves out there has been such a lifesaver for me to be able to, to connect and see you all and hear your words and hear your stories. It's been amazing. Um, and, and it's weird how it's really hard sometimes to find other, um, not only BIPOC, but queer BIPOC folks in
1: the in the community yeah absolutely and i'm just i'm so grateful that we that we are going through these experiences in a time where we have so many ways to connect
2: mm-hmm.
1: and find one another because like you said Daniela, it is just a very different time when your mother was experiencing NBC. you know and that must have been so isolating
0: yeah Really, really isolating. Um, and so it's, yeah, it's just really great to be able to connect to you guys. And how have you guys navigated? I'm curious, like, with, um, with providers and, you know, what we already go through. And then on top of that, layering our, um, different identities.
2: I don't. I don't know if I can think of a specific. Um. Well, it wasn't related to breast cancer, but it was during a time when I would go and get, um, you know, pap smears and checked for stuff like that. They would ask you, um, "Do you want like a pregnancy test?" And at the time, I was dating a woman. And I was like, no, I don't need that. I'm fine. And like, are you sure you should be checked still? And I was like, I can promise you we're good over here. (laughs) Um, but as far as with breast cancer, I don't think I've noticed it because it's one of my identities because I am fortunate enough in this society to be cisgender with how our system is set up that it never comes in, my identity as queer and is never brought up during anything related to my breast cancer. I cannot say that for people who are non-binary, gender mm-hmm. fluid and stuff like that, but me as cisgender, I haven't had any issues.
0: Yeah, um, and and Delcha?
1: I would agree with Mariah that that's overall been my experience. I think it definitely does make a difference and it is, you know, we all have different levels of privilege and it does happen to be a privilege and it makes it a bit easier for me to navigate when, you know, they can't look at me and um, see that I am like a member of, you know, the LGBTQ community and, um, and i will say as much as i've you know been really open about things with as with my oncologists our conversations about like you know my personal life are pretty minimal um we're about to come up on three years now that i've been living with cancer and we're like just getting to like the point where we have more personal conversations family and all of that you know so um Thankfully, she, I know she's very, my oncologist is very open-minded and hearted person. Um, I've shared with her, you know, things I've gone through because she's watched me go from like having a partner, you know, being in a marriage, someone who was there with me when I would first started coming to appointments with her to now being, you know, on my own and social aspects things like how is dating going and (laughs) all of that conversations that I feel she doesn't typically have with her patients because you know how it usually is they they have a lot of older folks like I'm usually the youngest person in that infusion room when I go Um, so I feel like it's kind of new for her like my oncologist she often doesn't even know half the resources that I that I know. Um, just because I'm on social media, I'm the one actually living with the cancer.
0: And right.
1: so she's often like, oh, wow, that sounds like a great resource or community. You know, where'd you hear about that? And I'm kind of like, gosh, she, she's an oncologist. She should know. <laughs> I mean, I I would like for her to know more about these kinds of so she could share them with other folks, you know, yeah. because I just feel really strongly that that would be helpful.
0: Definitely. Yeah. Um, So have
1: you found it have any of you found it difficult to find other LGBTQ thrivers within the breast cancer community? And if so, have you found welcoming spaces?
2: I can go. Um, so it's interesting. I like this question because I was thinking about it. With being cisgender and being in the LGBTQ um, community and us being people of color, I allow my privilege of cisgender to help in certain situations. For example, like um, when people see me, they see that I'm black. Then they'll see that, wow, you were only 26 when you got breast cancer. So my, gender, identi- my de- gender identity and expression, I don't have to show. Mm-hmm. So it's hard because it's never at the forefront because it's always me being a young survivor or thriver and me being black. It's never my other intersectionalities. Yeah. So talking, I'm, the conversation is never about being LGBTQ in the community. It's always focused on those two main ones that I haven't found many friends that are in the community as well, because so many other of our identities are put in front of it.
1: That's so true. Like I have found so many young black, you know, thrivers um, as soon as. I discovered my diagnosis, I immediately like hopped on social media and just went and found people. Um but even like you Mariah, I followed you for a long time on social media. I knew you're black, I knew that you um were a, you know, survivor of breast cancer. I did not know that you were also uh pansexual. <laughs> right. um, you know. Yeah. <laughs> You guys are definitely good. We're we're best friends now. Just so you guys know,
0: Danielle. Yeah. So it's been actually refreshing in the last year or so. I've seen a lot more Latinas pop up, or a lot more Chicanas pop up. Um, but but that had been pretty rare, actually, um, to begin with. And then to have somebody who has actually gone through breast cancer and is that, you know, is, is identifies closely to me and is um, queer in some way has been, you know, people don't exactly shout it from the rooftops either, it seems like, but I'm glad for those of you who do, (laughs) and I'm glad to be able to have found you um i want to circle back if it's all right with something so with the with having gone through surgery at the beginning i did not um i had this discussion with my surgeon where you know i knew right away that i wanted to have for me i wanted to have um double mastectomy even though I didn't have to. It was just a choice I knew I wanted. Um, and I really thought about staying flat afterwards. And part of that was, am I going to lean into um, my gender queerness more, my fluidity more? And right. I wanted to have that discussion with her and she was so insistent on how difficult it would be to um to go from being flat to having anything in there versus going from having something in there to going flat right and you know it it did seem to be true the way that everything was discussed um and I'm going to, I'm not going to lie. I like boobs in general.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I so. I'm <laughs> 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 So,
0: you know, it was, it was a toss up for me in some ways. Um, and I couldn't, I, I had a very hard time deciding. Um, and it wasn't. It wasn't something that she was really taking into account. So, mm-hmm. luckily, I had a good therapist, and we were able to really work through that. Um, mm-hmm. But I think that it's it's something that's not discussed enough when we're coming up against those questions, because really, like it's like one thing after another, right? When you're first yeah. diagnosed, and and you're getting all of these different treatments, mm-hmm. it seems like you have such little time to make these decisions.
2: And you don't know if you're making the right ones, but you're making the one that need to be made right now at this moment. And then you go and you think about it later on. Like, did I make the right decision? And it's frustrating because you don't have enough time to breathe. Exactly. I hear that a lot. I hear that a lot
1: from especially young breast cancer survivors. I'll say survivors in particular. Usually I use Thriver for people like myself who have, NBC, um, just because our standard of care is typically different, and there does like there doesn't seem to be as much rush, particularly into surgeries. You know, if you were initially diagnosed like you were de novo straight out the gate, NBC like myself, so I've had a lot of time to think about surgery. But I hear from so many people who don't and they're very rushed into decision making and sometimes you know the decisions are just made for them and i and i could completely understand that because it's a traumatic experience and you're just listening to your medical providers and what they're telling you you ought to do you trust them save your life yeah um yeah
0: for me oh Sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead no, go. I was just gonna say that I, you know, my background is in social work and public health, so I'm used to advocating for other people. But then mm. when it comes to speaking up, you know, for yourself when you're under that kind of of stress is just it's a whole other thing.
2: So Daniela, with you wanting to go flat, you didn't go flat though.
0: I didn't go flat. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I was Mm -hmm. really like in the middle. But yeah, I did not end up going flat.
2: Do you think it was... Were you concerned with what society would think of you at that point? That you were going to then affirm your gender identity and expression? Or what Mm -hmm. made you decide? Or what society portrays quote-unquote women to be?
0: I mean... That came up probably, but it was more so, it was more so the comfort in my own body. Like, yep. what, what, how am I supposed to find sexual joy after this? Mm-hmm. You know, um, and, and who knows, at some point, maybe I will go flat, so... Mm-hmm um especially so i ended up um with with implants and um you know if it gets to a point where they need to be exchanged i may not exchange them (laughs) you know it's um it's just something like i i feel like i've always kind of wanted to experience is not having them but then i also really um enjoy boobs as well
1: that's so- how conflicting
2: <laughs> especially with all the body dysmorphia that you develop when you go through um treatment whether that be surgeries chemo radiation um if you have you're dealing with being bald and feeling like you're not pretty or you get Um, Your breasts removed and you have tissue expanders and they feel like hard rocks and you don't feel attractive. And it happens so quickly. You had your normal breasts this month. And then six months later, you have brand new ones Mm -hmm. and they're not going to be, they're not going to look the same as what you had before, no matter what you do. So it's frustrating.
0: Super frustrating. And the, um, the scars The scars that are everywhere you know and and that can be from you know i i've worked with a lot of people with scars i i part of the work that i do is actually traditional work um around massage now and you know when we think about the scars like even our port scars are that can be the most painful even though they're it's it's so small right Mm -hmm. Uh, but i remember one person who was just like that port scar was something that that bothered them more than anything else, right? It's, yeah, it's a lot. And I guess it's
2: harder to hide it?
0: Yeah, it's harder to hide it. I mean, we, you know, it goes straight across, and,
2: mm-hmm.
0: you know, um, and it can be painful, and it's a daily reminder, right? Yeah,
1: mm-hmm. it is definitely a daily reminder, that's for sure. Daniela, thank you for sharing with us because, you know, I really had not ever thought about folks who may, you know, have been considering like top surgery, Mm -hmm. but that's so inaccessible. I mean, we always talk about how breast cancer is not a free boob job. Right. Absolutely not. It's not the same, but I just not considered how at least, you know, possibly if you want to say a silver lining or something could be for someone who is not feeling fully themselves in their body, you know, with breath. And so the decision to remain flat could, you know, not just be a a preference that a lot of women, you know, have and embrace, but could actually, you know, make them feel more themselves than they did. Because I always consider how you know, losing their breasts makes so many women not feel like themselves. Right. But for some, you know, it may make them feel more themselves.
0: There's actually yes, a, very a page interesting on, Yeah, there's actually a page on uh, on Instagram, I forget the, the handle right now, but of people that have that are exactly have gone through that and that are actually relieved um not to have them anymore, but it was mostly, it was mostly white folks, but.
1: Oh, I'm sure. It's often mostly white folks. In any
0: any comparison, that's usually who it is. Yes, absolutely. Hey, Deltra, can we circle back to how, how is uh, dating going?
1: Oh, (laughs) (laughs) wow So it, it is going, it is going, (laughs) it has been, yeah, it, it has been so fun. It has been healing for me. Um, It's been such a good reminder for me that I don't have to be this totally healed person physically or emotionally to be worthy of love. Because Mm -hmm. in reality, you know, I really, I mean, because, and I get it, like, we're constantly told, like, you got to, you know, take time between relationships, you really got to heal yourself before you can move into something new, Mm -hmm. all of that. But I mean, depending on the situation, and also considering that, you know, healing is not, you know, uh, linear, linear, I've, yeah, I've really embraced that. And as someone living with NBC, you know, time is always on my mind. And right. I'm like, well, I, I don't have time to say around. And, you know, I, um, knew that I did not want to not so much be alone. Cause I really never feel alone. I have so much community, you know, mm-hmm. but I spent a long time in my marriage and when it was over, I just knew I wanted to get to experience dating and, you know, kind of living in the fullness of who I am. But I also knew that I had a lot of trauma because my marriage was very traumatic. Mm-hmm. And um, so I knew I was going to be carrying that with me. So again, it was like, oh, I have this illness. So, and, I, and I'm not going to be like healed from this, like this mm-hmm. is in it for the longer, you know, it's a part of who I am. Even though I always say my diagnosis doesn't define me, it's a part of who I am. So I'm like, you know, in some ways, I always feel like I'm on this healing journey with cancer, but I'm always like, living with cancer. Um, so between that physical illness, and then I knew that I had all this like emotional, I'll just call it emotional illness, <laughs> left over from my marriage that I was navigating, nay dating. A little extra tricky, but I've been so um, excited and happy to find, you know, just some oh, really wonderful humans out there. Yay. You know, there are. And it's always like if you're very open and honest about who you are, where you're at, what you want, um, you can have that. Can and have I might another people with NBC, like, I totally get it's scary to leave it's scary for anyone to leave their comfort zone um you get a diagnosis like nbc and i mean you have one extreme or the other like either you want to just like i said cut off all of the things that you're like oh shoot this isn't working in my life or you really it also makes sense to really want to cling to things mm-hmm. and not want things to change it's very scary led to jump off of to decide to end my marriage because a huge part of me wanted to cling to, you know, my, my ex-husband at that time.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, And I didn't know if I would find anyone new or any people who would, you know, be accepting of me. Uh, But it's been really exciting to, and to get to meet people who are open-minded and open-hearted and who like just embrace everything I am who, you know, root for me for all of the mm-hmm. things I do in the advocacy world. Like I could not imagine not sh- having experienced that. And I always say like no matter how long I get to like live in, you know, this new version of myself, I'm just really happy that I was courageous enough to like step up for who I really am and live yep. that out, you know.
0: so oh, that's amazing. Yeah. I love it. <laughs>
1: I love it so much. That's great. I love it too. And I think my kids love it. Like it's it's nice seeing me, I think, happy and you know, get to Yeah, see me happy and hear, you know, my stories of dating adventures and exploring who I am and all of that. So Yeah.
0: Wonderful.
2: How about you, Mariah? So um, (laughs) that's not exciting I promise y'all heard the podcast about the broken vaginas right (laughs) Um, but no uh, I just don't have a desire to date and I've said in the last podcast I date myself or I date my friends and go out on dates with each other like we do that Um,
1: that's cool too
2: Yeah, and I love it. It's not that I'm, I don't know if I'm looking. I think I just want it to happen. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't want to force anything, Mm -hmm. Um, but I'm open. I just haven't found anyone. COVID didn't help because, like I said, i got to create an emotional attachment with somebody first. So it's hard to develop feelings for people if you can't Well, that's not true. You can develop them over the internet and stuff like that. But like, it's hard for me, like the connection are the people I work with and the friends that I see like once in a while now. So I don't know, but I'm open for it. Um, I think that I would be more um, susceptible to dating either right now, like a cisgendered woman Um, Who would understand how much breasts play a factor in someone's self image and things like that. Or a trans man who's had top surgery Mm -hmm. because they could relate to I would need I would feel like I would in order to be comfortable. I need to have somebody who can relate to certain aspects of me since my diagnosis. And I just haven't found anyone.
0: Yeah, I hear that. That's really, thank you for sharing with us.
1: Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Um, it is. I love the dating yourself thing because I'm so introverted and I really do enjoy my own company <laughs> like
2: really? so much. So I really enjoy
1: living, you know, quote unquote alone. Like, obviously my kids live with me too, but mm-hmm. I really really like not living with a partner. <laughs> <laughs> It's I know some nice. people like that, but I I really do enjoy not come and go dinner. as you please. Yes, yeah, you know, don't ask have- people over, but then they can leave. Yeah, and I'm definitely big on dating friends too. That's exciting.
2: Mm-hmm. So. One day I'm gonna tell y'all something juicy, but I don't have anything right now. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and that is oh, that is okay. <laughs> right before
0: right before COVID hit and oh my goodness, everything happened. So I got, I got diagnosed like the, in 2020, um, that summer, uh, our, you know, George Floyd was murdered a mile from my house.
2: Our oh, neighborhood, wow.
0: uh, we were, you know, it was, it was crazy. And, and then, and it was COVID and it was, um, and then I got my diagnosis, uh, that fall or, or late that summer. And so it was one thing after another right? Um, but, but, um, before that we had been kind of, well, not kind of, we had been exploring and been able to navigate, um, I it's it's not polyamory, but it's um and now the words, you know, chemo brain is a real thing. Um It is. Consensual <laughs> non-monogamy. Thing. Okay. Consensual non-monogamy. Um
1: Ethical. Ethical. Call it. Yeah. Yes.
0: Ethical non-monogamy. And um, um And what that looks like for us and and our partnership. Um, But, you know, all of that got pretty shut down (laughs) with everything. So I don't have too much that's that's juicing at the moment either. (laughs)
1: I'm telling you, COVID really threw a wrench in things. Yes. (laughs) It was the weirdest experience. I was just in disbelief because I was like, okay, I I just got diagnosed summer of 2019. And then... uh, Here comes 2020, and I'm like, I'm going to just make this the best year. I want to do all this travel. I want to have all these experiences. And then it's like, eh. it was, you know, Mm -hmm. a total block on that. And um, that really freaked me out. out, And it really messed with me mentally for a minute because I was like, oh, no, I'm not going to get to have these experiences Mm -hmm. I expected to have. And how do I navigate, especially with my health, you know, safely? meeting new people. Yeah, um, that, that was any, really scary.
0: Any tips you
1: have around that? <laughs> <laughs> right, Honestly, nice. I probably was not as careful as a lot of people because I was like, F it like
2: <laughs> became
1: my attitude eventually i was like if i what if this is like my last year of life like i gotta yeah. i'll try to do it as safely as possible but like i'm not going to just like lock myself in my house and not meet people and not go do things you know mm-hmm. so i definitely probably did more than some other cancer patients but <laughs> that year but um as soon as i could like you know i really dove into dating um just this last summer, twenty twenty one, because my divorce finalized. We were separated for a while, but my divorce finalized in June, and um, then I really kind of hit the ground running. I was <laughs> <laughs> not messing around. <laughs> but it's the same as Mariah too, because I'm like, well, I got to have the time to like get to know. The person. It's not right. like I was just, you know, only hooking up, which is fine. And a part of me is like, I wish I could do that. <laughs> Have fun, crazy, wild experiences, you know. But but that just isn't me. So
2: I tried back in the day <laughs> a few times. And I was just like afterwards, like, why'd I do that? Right. <laughs> like, I don't even like this person. Why'd I do that? I've done that. And I was like, you know, I can't do that anymore. Yeah, but yes. I get excited when my friends tell me about their experiences all the time. I live vicariously through them. I want to know everything. Anything you want to tell me?
1: Yes, I enjoy that as well. I really do like hearing other people's stories, and you know, it helps that I I just am not judgmental. So I'm like I genuinely am just enjoying hearing your story, even if it's not something that I could do or would do. I right. Still enjoy it, you know.
2: So, do you like
1: fi- like? Did you go on dating apps? I did go on dating apps. Uh, <laughs> I did do dating apps, and I, you know, I played around with them with my profile. Mm-hmm. Some I did not share my diagnosis, and some I did just to see if there was like a huge difference in the response I got, and there really was not. And I, pardon me, was like, oh, it's so much easier and it's just yeah it's easier when I just put it all out there you know and they can ask me questions or Mm -hmm. whatever instead of trying to figure out down the road like when do I want to share it I really don't think there's a right or wrong you know way to go about it Mm -hmm. you don't really owe it to like a total stranger to tell Mm -hmm. them you're what's going on in your body, you know, but sometimes I was like, let me just get it right out the way. And it, and I found it helpful.
2: Yep. That's what I did with my identity. Just let me just get it over with. Let me just let you know everything from the jump. There's no question. Well, there there will be questions, but you already know. So you can't be surprised by anything. And that's what I've wondered about with dating now, because I am a thriver and there's no evidence of disease that i know of at this moment and um but like i don't know how to initiate other than the people that i know on social media like if i go on a camp a dating app like do i say hey i've had cancer like are you okay with that like there's so many things like when do you disclose something like that and Or like you did, you just put it on from the jump with some of them and you're like, hey, it is what it is at this point.
1: Yeah, and I imagine for, you know, survivors, people who are in remission, there may feel like there's a little more space for not sharing, you know. Um, But again, it depends, I think, on just what you feel comfortable with. And also what you're looking for. Mm-hmm. If, you're, if you're looking for something more casual, then of course you have to share with someone. If I was looking for someone to like settle down with. <laughs> right. I would feel differently. I would definitely feel like I would not want to. I definitely would not wait long at all to share, you know, my mm-hmm. diagnosis and like the reality of it with someone if that was what they wanted like they want to get married you know all that maybe they want to have kids even without cancer i would have said no to the kids because i'm (laughs) done done. yes completely done but yeah it just so happened in my case like i'm always telling other women with nbc if they are considering divorce or just leaving a relationship or you know or they're they were already single Um, I always tell them, you know, our diagnosis doesn't define us. And if if statistics are statistics, um, we can consider them, of course, but we don't know, like you can't live your life in such a way that like, what if you're here 10 years later and it's like, oh, I didn't do anything or connect with anyone because I was so afraid, you know, that I wouldn't be here. So you didn't really live. Um, that would be a tragedy, but I always tell them, like, you know, you're still worthy of whatever it is you want. I know people who, you know, are metastatic and they've gotten married after their diagnosis.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, so if someone wants that, me personally, I did not want that. I already got to have that experience. I already did marriage and kids. Um, and it just so happened, you know, that I also discovered, you know, that I was, Polyamorous, So I, I live as my own primary partner, I'm solo polyamorous, mm-hmm. and that really, really works well for me with my diagnosis, I discovered. And I've had a couple people ask me, like, is that really what you want? Or are you just like doing that because of your diagnosis So you're scared to like have a committed relationship? And I'm like, no, although I think that makes sense. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I see why you would ask me that but it really works out for me. Like it's what I want. I've never really gotten to feel like I totally belong to myself because I was in long-term relationship from a young age. Mm -hmm. And I also really like the idea of anyone that is my partner, like having their own, like other partners and relationships that are fulfilling for them. And yes, part of that is because I don't want them to have like, a certain type of attachment to me like we we're human, so I expect there to be attachments and again I'm a demisexual too so we're gonna have an emotional connection you know but I do have a level of comfort in knowing like oh especially you know like one of my partners right now he's a little bit younger than me he maybe still wants to have kids you know and so I really loved it like he has another relationship like that makes me really happy for him
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, yeah, and so that just happens to work out really, really well with my diagnosis. I feel like it complements my diagnosis and dating. Mm-hmm.
0: Sounds like <laughs> you're it. really good
1: at compersion,
0: at feeling happy for your like for other partners. That's awesome.
1: Yeah, I like that about single polyamorous culture as well because monogamy just did not work for me. It really brought out the jealous fire-breathing mm. dragon side of me. <laughs> I did not love that me. So, <laughs> so uh, At least yeah. you know this now, though. I really? do. I do know it now. And I'm like, no, it wasn't that It was just this bad, awful, uh, jealous person in general. I was like, that was just me within, like, monogamy. And that obviously didn't work for me. Mm-hmm. Like, I really like feeling like I belong to myself. And I like not feeling like someone else belongs to me because when i felt like someone belongs to me which i certainly felt that way being in a marriage we exchanged vows we literally said we are forsaking all others right which when i think back to it which it was now 13 years ago i'm always like hmm when i watched my wedding video there was like a little pause that i did when i had to. Yeah. Say- <laughs> And I'm like, maybe my soul knew like, girl, you are, you are not about the monogamy
2: life. (laughs) (laughs) Even though I
1: stayed committed to my vow through the whole marriage, but like a little part of me was like, forsaking all others.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if I can do that. (laughs) Or want to.
0: (laughs) Yes, exactly. We did not do that. We wrote our own vows and we specifically, I was like, let's stay away <laughs> from making promises that we don't know we can't keep. You know what I mean?
2: That's yeah. beautiful yeah, because you can really always true. promise to be honest to somebody and communicate, Exactly. but as time goes and you grow as a person, I can't guarantee that we're always going to want the same thing.
0: Exactly.
1: like that I really love that too I really respect that when people like just kind of honor the idea that like everything isn't meant to be for forever Mm -hmm. and it still can be really beautiful that like hey we're gonna walk on a journey together and we'll respect and love each other enough to like admit when maybe it's over Mm
0: -hmm.
1: you know and that it still was good it doesn't mean that we failed You know, I just think that's really lovely.
0: Yeah. So to, um, to kind of circle back around and wrap up, what would you both like to see happening in the breast cancer community as far as LGBTQ plus? Drivers um, year round and not just for
2: Pride Month. Hmm. Belcher, you want to go first? <laughs> <laughs>
1: hmm. Well, what I would say is the same thing I say for like Black History Month <laughs> that I would just like to see more of a platform, I guess, or issues and faces being brought to the forefront, mm-hmm. you know, just all of the time, like, so that it's the norm and so that it's blended in. Um, yep. And I'd really like to see people just sharing more of who they are, mm. you know, but that's, that's a very personal choice, obviously. And I know for some people, they may say, oh, well, my IG page or whatever is about, me living with breast cancer but like i always say our diagnosis doesn't define us and you know if i would have shared openly on my page regularly or something my experiences as you know a pansexual or being solo polyamorous then maybe we would have connected sooner (laughs) Right. yeah so i just i just would like to see i think yeah, the any issues being brought up and addressed on the norm and people sharing their experiences?
2: I would say that, like we say, representation matters so much. Mm-hmm. And like you were saying, it's so important to see faces that represent different identities uh, as far as, and it's—I don't know if it's more difficult because, like, I know that they have um, other groups that are geared towards LGBTQ, but we have the LGBT we have the intersectionality of LGBTQ and women of color or people of color. Um, therefore, it's hard to find a way. Unless you always are like, well, we all like, I don't know, unless you always have to be like, well, we have to make sure we invite so and so who can give this standpoint, which is fine if they're willing to express those feelings. So you would have we would have to have people in the community who are willing to express their experiences related to their identity, related to the other topics that we have.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And then you, and you know, you don't want to be tokenizing folks, right? And um, yeah, it it just, it turns into that kind of thing of always ending up asking the same folks over and over again Mm -hmm. to (laughs) to speak up. Um, And also though, I think that if there was more invitation to do so, I think more people would start to open up more. Mm -hmm. And instead of just in Pride Month, you know?
2: Right, and just letting it flow naturally. And when someone does tell you that um, they happen to be LGBTQ as well, just not putting it only on Pride Month. Do it yeah. throughout. Okay, well, how does this affect you and your partner in this certain situation in relation to your breast cancer as well? Just let it come natural and organic. Mm-hmm
0: bring it up more times than, you know, and, and, and talk about like specific issues that, that are, um, not just difficult, but also wins for the community, you know, Mm -hmm. um, and, and just specific to our experiences. Um, Thank you both so much for, um, for being on this podcast with us today.
2: Thank you. Um,
0: thank you for being open and honest with your experience. And we want to thank our listeners for tuning in and making sure that you like, share, and subscribe to Batty to Batty on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Oh, and our handles, our Instagram, social media handles. Um, everybody want to share?
2: I'll go. Um, mine is Mariah Crenshaw, but it's phonetic. So M U H R Y U H K R E N S H A W. Thank you. And Deltra.
1: And mine is Deltra which is D-E-L-T-R-A underscore does underscore it. So Delta does it, and that's on IG.
0: Awesome. And I am at Mama Sinvergüenza. So Ma- M-A-M-A-S-I-N-B-E-R-G-U-E-N-C-A. And that is on Instagram as well. Thank you all. Have a beautiful night. This is another Batty creation brought to you by For the Rest of Us. Don't forget to subscribe to Batty to Batty wherever you get your podcasts, and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at For the Rest of Us, on Twitter at The Breast of Us, and check us out online at restofus.com. Thanks for listening.